0: Set his love on and determined to save a group of people for themselves. And then we heard of that Jesus Christ death, that atonement paid for those people whom he had chosen. Now we are going to hear of efficacious grace. And with that, Paul Free of the Grace Reformed Church of the Lord Jesus of New Leipzig. Please. I honestly have been looking forward to this ever since I got wind that this might be and uh, been excited about it, been looking forward to seeing your faces because I feel like I'm starting to get to know some of you a little better. And, uh, and I especially know that you wouldn't be taking a beautiful fall day like this to come and soak your minds in the word of God unless you felt this was a priority and understanding these things are going to benefit your soul for the rest of your life. So it's uh, it's great to be together. My wife and my mom are with me too, so we are so glad uh, to be here with you. As Howard announced, I've been assigned. Uh, I'm still the, one of those people that thinks in terms of TULIP, so you've got to make every point, start with the letter in tulip, and the, the fourth letter is irresistible grace, but it is also referred to as efficacious grace, and either way is fine. And like all the doctrines that we're studying here today together, they all come right out of scripture. And, and, I, and uh, I really felt compelled to make that as one of my opening comments when this week or or maybe two weeks ago, I was looking at YouTube videos, and I don't know if you've noticed, there's gotten to be quite a, quite a battle between Calvinism and Arminianism on YouTube videos. But anyway, uh, one of them said, destroying Calvinism in three minutes. Yeah. And I just got to thinking about that. If you put together just the clear plain scriptures that are quoted today by the five messages, it would take you a couple of hours to read them. And they're all clear and and, and so plain in scripture. So that's, that's the most comforting thing of all. God's word is what we are following when we believe these things. Now, I want to begin... Uh, talking about irresistible grace with something of a definition. One of the things we all know that you do when you talk about the doctrines of grace or Calvinism is that you go back to the Trinity because all that comes out of God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that becomes the basis for all of the doctrines of grace. So it's common, isn't it, for us to say, for instance, God the Father did the electing of those who would be saved before the foundation. Well, we're used to hearing that, aren't we? And then we would say, And God the Son is the one who accomplished the salvation by humbling himself, coming to this earth, dying on the cross, paying the debt of our sins, purchasing us for God. We attribute that to the Son. Well, the doctrine I'm speaking about, irresistible grace, comes under the work of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we need to think about as we go through these things. So what does the Holy Spirit do in efficacious or irresistible grace? What is it that the Spirit is doing? Basically, it's this. The Spirit is so working in an individual that by the time he gets through with him or her, they are so convinced of their neediness so convinced that they need Jesus and none but Jesus could help them that they end up coming and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. They couldn't do otherwise because they need him so much. That's what the Holy Spirit does in irresistible grace. Or to use a modern way of putting it, the Spirit always gets his man. That's that's what he does. He always does. He always gets that one for God that God had chosen and Jesus died for. He brings that person to see their desperate need and to embrace Christ. Now, how does the Spirit do that? Well, everywhere in Scripture we find That the Spirit's main tool for everything the Spirit does is the Word of God. So for the first passage I'd like you to turn to with me, if you're following in your Bible, it's Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. These will be familiar to you. They're beautiful verses, and I'd like to unpack them for just a minute after I read them for us. Isaiah 55 verses 10 and 11. And remember now, we're looking at this passage to see how the Spirit makes his work irresistible, okay? All right, I'm reading now the passage. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Now to get the impact of the second verse that I read, you have to know a little bit about the first verse that I just read, which Here this year in North Dakota, we do know something about, and that's the rain, the beautiful rain. Have you ever seen a year like this? It's been phenomenal. I mean here it is October and we're still cutting our grass. Rain right up to the present. Why? Because when God sends rain, he has a purpose that is always accomplished and that it moisturizes things. Even the snow. We may not like the snow as much as the rain, but even if it sits there all winter, when it melts, it's going to have its God-intended purpose, right? So he uses that physical analogy first. The rain and the snow, which God sends in the physical realm, always accomplishes his purpose, without exception. Even sometimes he sends multitude of water to cause a flood and do a lot of destruction. So, but it always accomplishes his purpose. Now, God, let us be clear, is always the one who sends the rain. Amen. It's not mother nature. That's right. It's father God. Amen. Listen to Job 37.5 and 6. God thunders marvelously with his voice. He does great things which we cannot comprehend. For he says to the snow. Fall on the earth. Likewise to the gentle rain. And the heavy rain of his strength. Okay now. The next verse that we read together a moment ago applies that, what God does in the physical realm by always accomplishing something with the rain and snow. And by the way, what did he say that was? He'll provide some seed. You know, I live a little more in farm country than you all do here in the city. And and boy, this year's crop is fantastic. And they got seed already for next year. They got great crops more bushels per acre than usual, and then they also have the things you make from the crops, bread, like bread he mentions in our verse. So all those things are accomplished by the rain and snow. So how does God in the same way use the word of God in the spiritual realm to always accomplish his purpose? That's what we're talking about next. And how does he do that? Anytime the Word of God is proclaimed, or taught, or read, it's happening. It's happening. It's happening right here, right now, because we're talking about the Word of God. What I'm saying is, the Word of God, according to what we just read, is never wasted. It's always doing something. Now, you have to be careful, though. It's not always doing something positive. (laughs) Seriously, we... You know, what we pray for is that it will do positive things. I mean, I don't think any of us pray, Lord, may I be your instrument to give people hard hearts. But that's exactly what Isaiah was told. When Isaiah entered on his ministry, this is right after his vision of the holiness of God, I want to read to you what Isaiah was told by God would be the main result of his ministry. It's Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. Go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return and be healed. How would you like to be entering the ministry and be told that's going to be the thrust of the effect that your ministry will have. That's what Isaiah was told, that his ministry would not be very effective. Now, he was very faithful. He preached whatever God told him to preach. But because God is the one, as we're seeing in Isaiah passage, that has to make the word accomplish his purpose for it, sometimes his purpose is to harden rather than to soften. You know, the cliché you've probably heard, the same sun that softens the butter hardens the clay. And that is what happens. Isn't that the reason then, that we've all been talking about here today, isn't that the reason then ultimately why some believe the gospel and some do not? If if God is always, without exception, using the Word of God, the Holy Spirit is using the Word of God to always accomplish His intended purpose, don't we have to, in the end, say that which differentiates between those who do come and those who do not come has to be God's intended purpose? Now, be careful, though. Don't make this mistake that you have been praying for somebody and you have been witnessing to somebody and you've told them the gospel two or three times and they look at you with a blank stare or they say, don't give me that stuff anymore, it doesn't mean that they still couldn't become the object later on of the Holy Spirit opening their heart and doing an efficacious work in them. But, at least for the present, it makes us sad when that's how we see people respond. I heard a very good example of this that I said I just had to include today because I think you'd enjoy hearing it. And that, I heard this preacher give this illustration. You've, many of you probably are familiar with William Wilberforce. They recently made a new video about him and it's worth watching. But William Wilberforce was a dear friend of John Newton. And William Wilberforce basically gave his whole political life to try to bring slavery to an end in England. And from what I understand, just three days before he died, he got the news that they had officially abolished slavery in England. But the reason I mention Wilberforce is because for many, many years, he did his work politically through Parliament and his dear friend was William Pitt. William Pitt was a little higher up in the government than William Wilberforce, but they were, they were good friends. And Wilberforce being a believer and wanting his friend William Pitt to become a believer, not only prayed for Pitt, but he kept inviting him to church. He wanted Pitt to come and hear his preacher preach. So he kept inviting Pitt. And you know how it goes sometimes when you invite friends to church. They got this excuse or that going on or the other thing. But finally, Wilberforce was so persistent that one day Pitt couldn't think of a way to get out of it. And he said, okay, I'll go. And he went. So they went and church is going on. And I think the pastor was Richard Cecil. And he was preaching God's word, and Wilberforce is over there just loving it. He's saying, oh, the word of God, the word of God, these truths, they just, they're, they're rich to my soul. But he's also thinking, what's Pitt thinking? What's Pitt thinking? So he can't wait. The service ends. The two of them are walking out together, and, and Wilberforce, i got to ask him. He said, Pitt, what would you think of that sermon? And Pitt had the courage to say to him, I have no earthly idea what that man was talking about. Now, Pitt was a genius. You don't say, oh, he's just stupid and he didn't get it. No, he's a genius in the political realm, but without efficacious grace, without the Spirit of God, without ears to hear, which only the Spirit can give, it just goes in one ear and out the other and it doesn't make sense. That's why lots of brilliant people reject the gospel because no efficacious grace has been given. Well the next thing I'd like to do is give, have us look together at two biblical illustrations of efficacious grace. Now the first one I'm going to have us turn to technically is more of of an example of physical efficacious grace than the efficacious grace we're here talking about when the spirit makes a person alive and understand and believe the gospel. But it still is a good illustration of how the spirit works. So that's why I'm going to have us look at it. I ask you to turn with me now to the gospel of John, and you're all going to know this uh, account already. It's the raising of Lazarus from the dead. But here you have this beautiful picture. It's in John 11, and I'm going to read verses 39 to 34. Gospel of John, chapter 11, starting at verse 39. And you know the background. Jesus' dear friend Lazarus has died. And Jesus deliberately waited four days to go visit the sisters, Mary and Martha, and to comfort them. But here now we are looking at the conversation between Jesus and Martha. All right, starting in verse 39. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, By this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said, he who had died, excuse me, now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot, with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Now you see why I said that's not technically an example of efficacious grace? Because he didn't make Lazarus alive spiritually. But it's a perfect illustration of how what he did in the physical realm is what the spirit does in the spiritual realm. Because let me ask you this. Do you think there's any way that Lazarus could have not come out when Jesus said that? Do you? Do you think it's a possibility? No way. No way Jesus could not. Because it's effective. Jesus' word was, you come out. No, in fact, I heard one man say, it's a good thing he said, Lazarus, come forth, or maybe everybody there would have come forth. But Jesus gave us an example in the physical realm of what efficacious grace looks like. Now let's go to one together, which actually is an example of efficacious grace in the Bible. And here, I ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. And you will be familiar with this also. This is when Paul was visiting the city of Philippi. And you know Paul soon as he gets somewhere, he's looking, how can I reach people with the gospel, right? That's how he thinks. That's what he does. So what does he do when he gets to Philippi? He says, oh, he hears of a prayer meeting that a few women are having outside the outskirts of the city. Well, I'm going to read to you now what happened on that day. It's just two verses, Acts 16, verses 13 and 14. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. Now, look at this. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Now, here's what's interesting. It doesn't say that about any of the other women that were there, does it? But Lydia, the Lord opened her heart, or to use the words we're using, the Lord, by his spirit, gave efficacious grace to Lydia so that she saw what was at stake. She saw she needed Jesus, and she was compelled to come and trust in Christ. That's efficacious grace. Lydia is an example of one having undergone efficacious grace. Now here, we need to bring in something that, I, that Pastor Bruce mentioned in his message. When he said something else you've got to tie into irresistible grace or efficacious grace, you've got to tie in the effectual call. Mm-hmm. In other words, this is how they go together. When the Holy Spirit is about to bring a person savingly to the Lord, what's he going to do? He's going to, like we saw about Uh, In Isaiah 55, he's going to make the word effective to them so that they actually come like Lydia did. But it means that when they hear the call of the gospel come to Jesus, they come. Whereas, So what does that immediately tell us? If a lot of people hear the call of the gospel and they don't come, what does that mean? It means there must be two kinds of call, right? Everybody who blows it off, does nothing with it, doesn't want to hear it, what do we say? They got the call. The preacher er, as earnestly said to them as he did to anybody, please come to Jesus. We don't want you to perish. We want you to be saved, okay? They got the general call. It's what Jesus was referring to when he said, many are called, but few are chosen. You see how he made a differentiation? When the gospel is preached, the preacher doesn't say, you who are about to be efficaciously called, come to Jesus. He has no idea who they are, so he just says, you all come to Jesus. And he leaves it up to the Holy Spirit to make it alive and powerful in that person so that they come. Many are called. You all, you all know the sad reality of praying for people, getting your hopes up. They hear the gospel. Oh, but again, no, they're not ready to believe, not willing to believe. They got the general call but they didn't get the effectual call, which always brings the person to the Lord. In other words, let me say it again, brethren, because it's so important that you understand this. What does happen to the person who receives the effectual call, like Lydia? you got to understand this. It's not that you come to see simply... Yeah, I admit I'm a sinner finally, and I see it's a good idea to get my hell insurance, uh, fire insurance, and, and I better trust Jesus. No, no, no. It's a compulsion. Amen. That's what why it's effective. See, we got today people coming under some sort of conviction of something without it being, you know, I deserve to go to hell and I see I will go to hell unless I have Jesus. Effectual call and irresistible grace puts you in that state. If I don't have Jesus, I'm going to get just what I deserve. Oh, Jesus, please, please save me through your blood. That's when you know you've had the effectual call. I've got to have Jesus. I think Jesus was referring to this very thing when he said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Why do a lot of people claim I've heard Jesus' voice and they don't follow him? You see, they hear his voice and they do follow. Why? Because they're efficaciously drawn to him by grace, and that grace doesn't quit in their soul. Doesn't mean they do it perfectly, doesn't mean they do it all the time, but it does mean they are driven by the grace of God within. Well, so you see, sometimes the general call is turned into the effectual call at the time when the word is proclaimed, right? That's Lydia. She seems to be the only one that day for whom the general call was turned into the effectual call. Now, I want to close, and I want to ask each one of you, have you experienced the effectual call? See brethren this is you you can see now how big a deal this is from the messages you've heard today and are about to hear this it this is way too big a deal it's you've got to you only you know this for yourself but has the grace of god ever become irresistible to you where you knew this is the only thing that matters. And if I don't get this, I'm going to perish forever. Yep. Has Really, you got to come to that point, to that place where you know you have to have Jesus. You know, Peter put it so beautifully when he said in 1 Peter 1.23, having been born again, Not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. You see, the term, as you think about it, born again is just a synonym for the effectual call, for irresistible grace. That's what it means. When God gives you the new birth, he made you alive who were dead, and now you're going to come. You're going to come as the Spirit works in you. And I'm just asking you, and I'll quit with this, does that describe you? Shall we pray? Lord, how we're so grateful every one of these topics that we are considering today that it's not in our hands. Oh, Lord, I think each one of us with honesty in our soul would say, how cold and dull can we be? How hard-hearted and stiff-necked, even as believers, how much more impossible that we should have ever come to you except by effectual, irresistible grace. You're the only one, Heavenly Father, that can change a hard heart and do helpless sinners good. And we praise you that there's going to be people in heaven because of your grace. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.